Okay. So tonight we're going to speak on a subject. You know, I don't know if y'all have been studying business models, but they said that one of the best things to figure out in business is the why. Because if you can sell for all these other different reasons, the what, the, you know, you go down the list, but if you can figure out why, you can sell people forever. The why of the sale. So tonight, I'm going to speak of the why of fasting. Because if you hear that you have to fast, all you do is lay down the floor, groan, and <laughs> just feel sorry for yourself. You know, it's kind of like my dad. He said that when they told him you need to fast three days before you pray for your wife for deliverance or pray for your wife to be set free, he was like, I've never missed a meal in my life. Mm -hmm. And he was out working on fence, and he said he'd get so hungry just thinking about it, and he couldn't believe three days. And that's how it affects you most of the time if you have never fasted a meal in your life. So tonight is the why of the fast. Why fast? And I'm going to set it in the context of the time that we live in first. Because Jesus actually appointed this time as a time of fasting in your life. And it's in all three synoptic gospels. In Matthew 9.15... In Mark 2.20 and Luke 5.35. They all ask this one question and they say, How come your disciples feast and don't fast? How come your disciples get to eat when John's disciples are always fasting? Now, of all the different ways Jesus could have answered that, why does he let his guys eat? And basically he told them it's because they're happy. It's because it's a good time. And so he said, you don't fast when the bridegroom's with you. But when the bridegroom is taking away, then my disciples will fast. And that's not just one writer that caught that sentence. Two or three remembered to write this down for us. So we're living in a time when the bridegroom has been taken away. So that's why you fast. So it's not this bizarre thing that you do that when you're really happy, you do it when there's a reason for it. There's an absence here that Jesus is no longer here in person. Now, he said it's better, the Holy Spirit comes, but there's still a reason why he said this group of guys are not fasting like John's disciples are fasting because I'm with them. But they'll come a day, they'll fast. And they'll come a day, we'll fast. Because we have to pull things down from heaven just like they did. So that is our beginning statement of we are in that season that the bridegroom is no longer walking with us in the flesh. And so you will be pulling down things just like Jesus did because he fasted. So the reasons for fasting. Now, if you have not come across this passage, you are missing out on fasting. This is the passage you must read if you fast because it holds all the whys in it. It holds the reasons. It tells you how to do the fasting. It tells you all about the fasting. But it starts out in Isaiah 58 is your chapter for fasting. And it begins with the word shout. Verse 1, shout. 
Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. So you see the beginning of the fasting as being a yelling. You know what you're trying to do? You want to be heard on high. Verse 4. Fasting is to make your voice heard at the highest levels. Don't you want your voice amplified to God? Don't you want there to be a breakthrough where it clears the heavens, that there's an open window? It's telling you, verse 1, shout. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Fast to make your voice heard on high. Do you think some reasons that people might not be heard is because they never fast or they never shout? So, fasting is for you to be heard. It's for when you can't break through. Y'all, fasting will do something unique that nothing else will do. When I have to ramp something up and I must be heard in heaven, I fast. When it's absolutely necessary, when it's something that's crucial to my life, when it's something very important, very high priority to me, I'll fast. So I'm not one to say that you go into this dieting lifestyle of fasting like people are saying. It's not for that. It's to make your voice heard by God on high. Now some people fall apart when you say fasting is to get God's attention. But I don't think we can ignore what Isaiah is telling us here. And I think that Jesus is saying a very similar thing that when the bridegroom's there, you're having a lot of fun. But when he's taken away, that'll be that period of fasting. So there's different types of fasting and reasons behind it. So there's the repentance fast. And we're going to name a few of these so that you can hear how fasting is used in the Bible. But in Matthew eleven twenty one, Jesus says they repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And I think it's interesting that Jesus seemed to see this as an acceptable form of repentance. It's interesting to think that you would repent with sackcloth and ashes. And then in Jonah 3, 5 through 8, our famous story of Nineveh and their repentance, they called a fast during it, and they put on sackcloth, and they sat in their ashes. They didn't eat or drink water, and their animals had to fast too. Maybe that's because, like Kyle told me, they weren't given the option to repent. <laughs> so they needed their voice heard on high. They were just going to have destruction come upon them. So it's very unique to see that in the old form, when you wanted God's attention, I mean, I think part of it is you don't even have a desire to eat. You're like, you're so consumed with your problem that you do something about it that's in the right direction. You want God to hear about what's going on. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 3 and 5, and also in Luke, well, he's talking to a group of people. He goes, you fast twice a week. And Jesus, 40 days, did a fast. So we know of that fast that he did in his life. Now that's a crazy long fast. And it seemed like he had supernatural grace for it because it said after 40 days he became hungry. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but 
almost all the time when I fast, I'm not hungry during my fast. I mean, I could eat, and sometimes you forget, but I don't have that kind of hunger you think you would. I feel a supernatural amount of strength. I feel something like if the Lord speaks to me and tells me how long to fast, He gives me the grace to do it. And then after the fast, I'm hungry. And so that's where I would see that Jesus, He's talking about these guys, they fast twice a week. In Matthew 6, 16, and 18, Jesus says, Whenever you fast... I think that's your key. You need to circle that. When you fast. People said, well, did Jesus tell us to fast? Uh, no, he expected it. He said, when you fast. So circle the when. It's just your standard equipment on the Christian. So my thing that I would ask you to write down is, when is your when? That right above it, these guys were doing it, and he was going, look, you're into legalism. It's not working for you. So I'm not saying that you should do something just to be doing it. I'm not saying that you should come up with a legalistic lifestyle of fasting. I'm saying fasting is for having your voice heard on high. When it's something that is not breaking with prayer, add fasting to it. When it's something that prayer is not moving, then move into the area of fasting. Then Jesus also says, and don't look tragic and pathetic. <laughs> don't make your face look like everybody's like really sorry to be around you on your fast day. In other words, don't dress for a fast. Fasting to be noticed. I want you to see my pain and what I'm going through. And he says, basically, just go about your daily activities. Just go on with your life. But you take your time of fasting to actually have your prayer time. Don't fast and not pray. Don't have it where you just do without your lunch and call that fasting. Take the time you would have spent eating and do your praying. So these are some just general guidelines that are standard equipment for us. In 1 Samuel 1, 8, Hannah, we see her story, and she just she reached a point of desperation. And she had been praying and, and waiting on God. It's at this point when she began to weep before the Lord to cry out that the fasting came about. And the Lord was moved by her sadness and her desperation. And God answered her prayer. Scripture is filled with successful fast. Scripture is filled with prayer answers being heard. King David's probably the only one where you see the opposite take place. It's in 1 Samuel 12, 16 through 17 and 20. But he had gotten into something that would take his whole Bible study to go into. But I wanted you to see something here that he handled it really well. That David cleaned up and worshipped before he broke his fast. He had been fasting and he cleaned up and he worshiped God even though it didn't happen the way he had hoped for. There's a scripture in Joel that says, fast and pray and maybe this will relent. And that's what Jonah did. I mean, when you're up against something that you just flat could not bear or history or, or we're headed for something, this is where it talks about it here. And I was just thinking about people that are fasting for their first time, like 
Usually before we take a mission team out, we have a fast, a team fast day. Oh, there's kids that have never fasted a meal in their life. And they think we have put some sort of punishment on them that it's just more than their little souls can bear. So I always get tickled when you start your first fast. I remember one time I was in college and I was at a concert. It was a Christian concert and it was really good, but I could not concentrate on the concert because I was thinking about the college cafeteria the next day and planning my breakfast. And I planned all, I thought this is not going to be a one breakfast day. This will be this one, this bar, and this bar. I will have three breakfast bars before this is over with. And I never could think of anything about the concert because I was consumed thinking about the next day. And the Lord just whispered to me and said, I want you to fast through breakfast. I was appalled. <laughs> he was listening. I was not doing King David coming off my fast well. I was not cleaning up and worshiping. I was just thinking, I can't wait till 7.30 in the morning. Shall I move it till 7? I mean, I was thinking about that fast breaking. And when the Lord did that, you know what's powerful about that? When I fasted through breakfast, it took that raging desire to just let your flesh go off of me. The Lord actually did it to help me. But at the time, I was kind of appalled that he would just whisper to my spirit, I, I don't want you eating breakfast. Because if I had disciplined my thoughts, which is what fasting's for, then I would have been, what do you got, cocked and in gear, ready for what I was facing. But the Lord knew I hadn't got the purpose of the fasting yet. And when he asked me to do it through the next breakfast time, during that time, I was able to get the reason I fasted inside of me. I was able to own what had happened. I was able to pull it down from heaven. You don't want to go through a fast and not bring it down. My little ones, when they first get off of a team fast, we had our house over here and I would be upstairs and going to bed. And I always thought about around midnight, there is so much noise in my downstairs. And so what they were doing is they were breaking into my house and at 12.01, the entire mission team was down there cooking. And I mean, when they had had to fast a team day, I was meaning, you know, I thought they understood, you know, just fast a day. I thought they understood through the night. Oh no, I mean, they were rattling pans. They were cooking. The guys had brought all this food in. I mean, they're little flesh monsters. I think that's why they all were writing diaries, Dear Flesh Diary, because the fasting had not really snapped that hold that, you know, your stomach has on you, that your appetites have on you. And so they weren't able to make it come across. In this passage, you have a very good picture of King David ending well, starting your fast well, and then cleaning up and worshiping and spending that time with the Lord and laying down your heart before the Lord. So there are problems that you see in the Bible that people fasted for. They'd have certain problems come up in their life, and they would fast. You know, in Esther 4.16, it's a powerful one. One of my favorites in understanding what you have to do. But to enable Esther to find favor with the king, he said, this was her guidelines, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Please ask the entire city, of Susa to fast for me, every Jew, 
Wouldn't that be interesting if I said, would you get every Christian in Brownwood to pray for me? I'm fixing to go see this very important man. And I have to have a favorable decision from the Lord. Would everyone fast that I have favor and if there's a breakthrough? You're fasting for a breakthrough. She says, do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. See, she took her mission team and clarified. If you ever have seen the Muslims fast at Ramadan, I mean, it's just like my little mission team. I mean, they just don't eat in daylight, but at night, they eat. Their fasting is like the first-year mission, a little attendance. And so, oh, there's that word, attendance. And I and my attendants will fast for you as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. And even though this is against the law, if I perish, I perish. So fasting gave her the courage to enter into a very difficult situation. So what the breakthrough does by fasting is it takes the problem that you have to push through your problem. You have to break through your problem. And fasting actually breaks through it in heaven first so that it comes down to earth. Like sometimes, you know, have you ever felt a problem that's highly resistant to any solving it just doesn't seem to have any answers that will solve this problem. Fasting is what brings the answers down. Like, it'll open up the way so before you walk through it, you're not trying to do it just with your sheer strength. Instead of saying, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, you're saying, I'm doing it by my might, I'm doing it by my strength, by my power, I'm trying to do it. And fasting is by the spirit. It gets you where you're not having to do it in your own striving. And so that's what I see here is that Esther paved her way to go to a difficult king before she ever faced him. So fasting is that prevention that you do. Now let me give you another verse that I was looking at today and I thought, oh wow, I have never even studied this verse out real well. But Ezra 8 21 through 23 and verse 31. It's fasting for a safe journey. He was carrying a lot of gold on him. And there were a lot of people who wanted that gold. Called bandits. They were wearing face masks. <laughs> there were a lot of people that were wanting it. So they fasted. You know, in our missionary's country, he'll tell me a lot of times, we fasted for our journey. And if I go on a journey, they'll all fast for my journey. It's a very strong custom among them because they have a lot of bandits. And so we may be fasting for somebody having to go into doing eviction. You know, go and may God be with you. You know, that... <laughs> And read this verse. It's so, I love how it's worded. And there by the Ahava Canal, I gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before the Lord. And we pray that he would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children and our goods as we traveled. So, have you ever thought about fasting for your travel? Back then, travel was a big deal. If I was a Pony Express guy, I might have fasted before I took off. But when you see these pile-ups, you think, I didn't even give a prayer before I started this trip. I don't think that. I like praying before I start. 
But I know a lot of people that never give a prayer before they start on a drive. And I was coming home this last trip, taking Brother Jacob home, coming back, and I saw the worst wreck I've seen in a long time. It was an 18-wheeler, and a car pulled in front of him, and the car was just melted onto the front. You couldn't even imagine if the person could get out of it alive. And I was thinking, they didn't know that was going to be the last day of their life. I mean, it could have hit them any more terribly in the driver's seat than the way that looked. And we were watching the wreck before and then also the wreck coming back, and they still couldn't get those cars apart. I mean, it just, they kind of melted together the way that it happened. So I would say that I would consider prayer before you go on a trip. And if you're uptight in your spirit, fasting. If you're uptight about someone, the Lord gives you something you can do besides worry. Worry does not produce good fruit. Or perhaps you could fast and just say, I just pray, Lord, this new year, that over the year that, you know, somewhere in the beginning of January, that you just protect all of our travels. I mean, there's just so many different ways with the Lord. You can reach out to Him and let Him know that you're not just trying to make it on your own. Now, do you know the first person who was recorded fasting in the Bible? Y'all want to guess? <laughs> Moses I'm going to put this category as leadership decisions don't wing it with God I'm speaking to myself too I remember the night before Jesus picked his apostles the one thing that you saw that they said he did was he prayed all night now this is a man who has perfect discernment, hearing, knowing the will of God, but he prayed all night long before he chose those guys. And I imagine he wasn't up eating all night. <laughs> so the first person who was recorded fasting in the Bible, it's in Exodus 34, 27 through 28. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So you see where he spent time with the Lord as they orchestrated a new covenant. They were putting in a new covenant that was written on these Ten Commandments. And if the world would teach this as their core curriculum, as their core values, as their values and character, if they would hold to the Ten Commandments, we would not have the problems in society. And when you read them, they're not outlandish. Literally, the courtrooms of earth would do well if people lived by just these Ten Commandments that God gave. It really was how to keep peace on earth. And because we've broken the commandments and broken the covenant, we have problems. But Moses was able to bring the Lord into agreement, one of the deepest agreements you can, of covenant agreement. And he spent his time with the Lord praying and fasting. A New Testament example of this, so you'll know it's, it's New Testament too. Also, it's Acts 13, 1 through 3. And the Holy Spirit said, 
Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. In other words, they're called, set them apart. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. That's where I would say when you're making these type leadership decisions, don't wing it. Put that time in it. You'll be amazed how much God will bring to the table during your prayer time when you put that time into it. So in the Acts 1 through 3, it's fasting before sending out missionaries. Acts 14, 23, fasting before appointing leaders. You know, one time we were really seeking the Lord on something, and so the whole college, we fasted together. I saw another time, and I've never seen NRB erupt like this. Now I'm going to tell it, and you're going to be like, oh, this is happening every day in America. But they had a board meeting that my dad would make me go to the board meeting. And everybody else skips the board meetings. And he had told me, you're going to act like a man and go to the workshops. But that also meant go understand how the board's being run. Understand the leadership of this. And so when I watched our convention, who had been very professional, poised, put together, I mean literally it erupted in chaos and conflict. just started screaming in every direction. I was in that board meeting and I thought, I could sell tickets to this. This is shocking what I'm seeing. And what had happened is we fired a president of NRB. And what had happened is they had hired this guy, really sweet guy, likable, and he just, I think his home state was Michigan or something, and he just stood up and, you know, they welcomed him as from their state of being the president of something as powerful as the ones who broadcast to the Christians, and they just commended him, and he said, yes, and what I'm going to do is withdraw us from politics. And I'm not going to have us speak into politics because we need to get out of that arena. <laughs> well, the board farting. Because the purpose of NRB was to be a political arm. Because of what had happened is in 19, I think it's 48, they had decided to remove all Christian programming out of America. And we realized as Christians that we had to get involved or they were going to do away with us. And that's what makes you, when you're young, think, I'm not going to have anything to do with politics. Look at all the adults. They're crazy. But once they start coming to take your rights away, you have to find your voice and stand up and say, we want Christian programming. It didn't go well in England, but in America we said yes. So NRB was like, that is not our policy. This is not our board rules. I mean, the whole foundation of us is to stay very politically engaged, to make sure that prayer still goes on in the Senate, to make sure that prayer is in our nation. I mean, we were very politically engaged. That's the purpose of being a Christian. We speak into culture. Well, anyway, when this issue came up, I mean, this guy was just average guy that had a huge ministry when they fired him. One group got up and started screaming about slavery. And I was like, I wonder why they're screaming about slavery. He's white. (laughs) He's not blue. I mean, I was like, what's racial about it? And the next group stood up and they started screaming about the Palestinians. And why are we not treating the Palestinians good? We're too in favor of the Jews. And they started saying, you're giving a breakfast to the Jews. You're giving preferential treatment. 
and you're mistreating us and we're Arab Christians. And then they started screaming and they had asked for open mics to talk about the president and instead all this hate was just pouring out. And I told dad, this is horrible. Is everybody just like this all the time that they just wait for an open mic to start screaming? We've never had behavior like that. We're in a place that these were professional people in ministry understanding how things went. My dad leans over to me and he goes, I want you to run and get on the board and straighten this out. I said, Dad, I barely made it to the convention. How on earth do I have time to be on their board? I mean, do you notice these people have enough money to fly themselves in it? I mean, these are powerful people on the board. I don't care. Get up there and fix this. You know, Dad, thank the Lord he intervened because the group split in a hundred pieces. But guess what they did? Three or four day convention. They hit their knees. They called fasting and prayer for everybody at the convention. And the board called the fast. They prayed. And by the next year, I met the new president. And our membership went to the highest level. Our ability to influence. And we had our new president. And, you know, I realized then that people in ministry that are big, a lot of them are very genuine. It seems like everybody talks about the people that are fakers or don't do it right. But I saw a lot of people that when I had one station, they had 10. When I had one in Texas, they had them in Iraq. When I had one in peacetime, they had all types of things going on. And they took the time to be simple and to fast and pray. So this is where I'm making the point. If Jesus did it, you can. If Moses does it, you can. If people that have huge ministries go back to the simplicity of the Bible, then I invite you, go into fasting. Hit your knees, because God will hear. And so as leadership, sometimes I think we just think that we should walk through any opportunity that presents itself, rather than really seeking the Lord of how can we do this. To, to really get your heart on it. You know, in Judges 20 through 26, the Benjamites defeated Israel. And this is an odd one. But Israel fasted in defeat. It's interesting to think that you would fast after you were defeated. Acts 27:33, the sailors, the same thing happened there, so they began to fast. In Psalm 35:13, when a friend got sick. So you can fast during calamity. If it looks like your, your nation's going down, it's time for fasting. In Zechariah 7:5, Jerusalem, the capital, fell to the Babylonians. That would be like D.C. falling to the communists. Oh, that's already happened. Um, that would be like your capital being taken over by outside forms of government, scared when they were whipped, grief. And so I wrote down before an election and sometimes after a terrible election. Now I gave this years ago and wrote that sentence, but even more so that you fast before the election preventatively and you fast afterwards asking the Lord help us. This is your key for having God's power 
for our battles. This is your key for having power for the things that you face that are conflict. God's power for our battles. We all have battles. In 2 Chronicles 20, is King Jehoshaphat was confronted with a vast army who had the power to devastate their nation. Many people would have thought that his problem was sheerly numbers, statistics, physical. The issue of who had the biggest army, their military might, their battle plans, their strategy, their state-of-the-art weaponry, their number of troops, their leadership. But Jehoshaphat correctly concluded the conflict was spiritual. And so many times a natural battle is the sign of a spiritual opposition. What did he do? He called the people to fast and pray. And notice that God responded with this. Do not be afraid or discouraged by this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Those are the favorite ones. Sometimes God will say, get out there and fight. Or he'll give you ways. But in this particular one, all they had to do was stand. The whole nation knelt before God. And they were able then to stand before their enemies. If you humble yourself with prayer and fasting and on your face before God, it causes you to be able to stand before your problems, your opposition. We serve that God who can clear the way out ahead of time. You know, in 1 Kings 25 through 29, Ahab took the curse off of himself personally. It seemed like that God was actually moved by the fact that he started fasting and accepted this as repentance. And Ahab was terrible. Like, this is the one that always makes me shake my head because even Elijah, he was a little stunned by the fact that God was willing to forgive this guy who had just murdered someone. So for us to take Ahab's example, I would tell you that it's one thing to fast when we need God's help of fighting a battle or making a decision or overcoming some lofty challenge. But it's quite another thing. And it's something very beautiful about fasting out of repentance and making a deliberate physical effort to humble ourselves before God and mourn for our own sin. Have you ever had a sin that so tied you up and so had the best of you and so had you captive? If it really means something that you want to break it, fast. We're not using our best weapon. Fasting creates a hole in the problem, in the assault against you. And so out of all these beautiful scriptures, it's very unique to see that in the ranking of all these different things, that this guy fasted and mourned over his own sin. So, fasting. There are overall fast, seeking God, Leviticus 16.29 says, I'll afflict our souls. Get that will inside of you to submit to God. Seeking God in times of desperation. It's done as a private act in pursuit of God. So, when I put my body on a fast for one day, my body sometimes screams when I'm first getting my flesh under submission. 
it doesn't realize it has a boss. Your flesh thinks it can tell you when it wants to eat and when it doesn't. And so you're actually getting your body in a reminder that it will pray. And then my body starts making bargains and promises and negotiations. It starts saying, if you'll just let me eat. <laughs> I promise and you'll feel it doing all kinds of... <laughs> so there's different views of there's There's fasting is Old Testament, is what some people say. That's one belief. Number two, well, it's out of vogue. No one in the church does this anymore. Who wants to hear a you know, a magazine article on fasting or a conference. Or, you know, it's not fasting in order to keep my weight down, but to seek God. It's for that business of opening up things that are resisting your ability to get them to yield before the Lord. So the body will get quieter when you fast it. Your body will get more polite. After it screams for a while, it's shocking, then the body will start being polite to you because it thinks, you're really not going to feed me, are you? This is shocking. And so my body will start speaking with a little bit more reverence rather than screaming. And it'll realize whatever I'm doing is not working. And then finally, your body will agree to do what the Holy Spirit tells it to do. And that's called you've broken through with your fast. And you've gotten your body to do the will of God. So there are specific fasts, like in Daniel 10.3, the Daniel type of fast. So you see the Bible naming good things, even from a partial fast, the benefits that resulted from it. You know, I had this happen one time where I could not quit eating Cheetos. Every Tuesday night, Donna put such a spread on the table. The chocolate was good, but the Cheetos were impossible to quit. And I couldn't quit eating them. And I talked to the Lord about it, but the next week I would find myself just too. And I could not quit eating those Cheetos. So, you know, I would say, well, I'm tired. Or, you know, some people, uh, you know, they think, well, I just deserve this. I've had a hard day. I'm nervous. I'm hungry. You just couldn't get that off of me. And so then I decided, guess what I'm going to do? I'm not going to fast all my food tomorrow. I'm going to put myself on a vegetable fast. And the kind of fast I'm going to put myself on is I'm going to eat everything I don't like tomorrow. My body's allowed to eat all at once. It just has to eat stuff it doesn't like. I never ate Cheetos again out of control. I ate carrots. I ate them the way I didn't like them. I started finding stuff and I would just eat it and it made me matter and matter and I thought the next week I looked at the Cheetos and I'm like, they don't even look good to me. <laughs> so you can choose a fast to take care of your problem. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, 5, it talks about fasting in marriage. Really? Well, you have people that, you know, sometimes on a mission field, it was funny, Caleb was taking care of Jonathan while, you know, Adrian, they'd first got married. You know, you have all these different types of ways to fast. Like another thing is when you're kneeling by the bed and your body says, just stay in bed, pray. You know, don't get out and kneel. There's no need to get out of the bed to pray. Just stay in the bed. Cheeto fast. Get the carrots out. They look the same color, but they have different results. Uh huh. Someone shared this story with me that happened to them in here. 
it's when they started dating, they felt themselves losing control in those first few months of dating. And so after one month of dating, they felt great. You know, all that love, all that attention. Girls, there's nothing like it when a guy tells you how beautiful you are, how tender, how much he wants to touch you. I mean, there's no wonder women fall for it. It is just, it's everything you want to hear and believe. So this is going on and you're getting it. Two months, it's great. So this person was sharing with me and they said, well, inside my heart, he'd love areas inside of me that had never been reached. And, you know, it's, it just can't get any better than this. So then the next month came. Suddenly, the person was telling me this particular month, whoa, we can't keep this up. <laughs> it's, it's not pulling quite so good now. Then the next month, complete frustration. And they said they never crossed a line, but the body was unreasonable. The body was in control, and it planned to stay that way. And they were like... We're not to that point that we're ready to commit to marriage. We're not that point. So it's going to be a long dating period. We're not going to make it to the end. And so what are they going to do? Do they eat carrots? I mean, what are they going to do? And so they declared the month of August a dating fast. One month, no touching. So they'd had three or four, but they were just like, and, and they hadn't gotten to the point that they had slipped or had anything, but they just said one month of just being together, but no touching. What was funny, they said the power of it broke and it obeyed for the length of time that they dated. So they dated, you know, whatever their, I don't know if it was a year, year and a half before they got married and they never compromised. On the wedding night, they went off their fast. Now, September, they started back, and they started holding hands and kissing again, and everything was under control. The body obeyed. If you fast it with your body, your body can take it then. It's funny. It'll tell you, I can't take it, I can't take it, I can't take it. But have a few good months. Fill up all those reserves, but stop it before there's ever even the start of a problem. You can stop it right before the problem starts and just say, because if you go over that line, it's hard. So stay back from it. Put yourself on an agreed upon fast and it won't hurt the love in it. You'll come back in the next month of September. You'll be strong as ever. And boy, will you have a good honeymoon. That's how you can do it. If you make up your mind, that's what it's going to look like. So I'm sure that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 6 through 5. You just make up your mind. This is what I'm going to do. Do I believe in not having love? I believe in having the best kind of love. A love that will last forever. Where you're crazy in love. Kind that makes you lie under lamps, street lights. And it's for no good reason. I believe in being blinded by love. I'm not one of these that puts such tight restrictions on you. You can't make it. But if you cross over into triggers, it gets difficult stay one step back but enjoy the romance did you know this kind of love sets a foundation for the rest of your marriage you need to have romance it's clean it's meant by God to be there just don't let it take over have fun because when times get hard and you're paying bills and she's screaming at you when she's giving birth <laughs> and all these different things. You'll remember those long walks 
the moonlight, the dancing, you'll remember it. But keep it at a good pace. Fasting. Fasting can appear in lack of vegetables and, and months of hand-holding and some months of just saying, I'm stopping. I'm treating you like you're my grandmother. <laughs> in Luke 2, 37, Anna fasted and prayed night and day. This lady was one of those type of people that just was a continuous lifestyle of praying and fasting. You know, foreigners do this. <laughs> Most Americans don't. But what's interesting about this is foreigners also have very unusual results in prayer. So I'm not trying to create that in you, but I am trying to give you a way to win when you're praying. I don't want you to miss something important. If there's a brass heavens, you can't get your prayers going through when nothing you're doing is working. Staying prayed and fasted up, walking into a situation connected. It does get God's attention. It's serious. It means business. People don't like me to say this. There's much prayer failure in the American church. You know, in Mark 9, 17 through 22, sometimes you look at your little prayer project and it's laying in the fire. And it doesn't look too good. <laughs> And the disciples were not real happy with the guy brought to them. You know, Jesus had told them, you got authority to cast them out. And they're looking at their little prayer project, and he's foaming at the mouth, rolling around, trying to drown himself, and he's grinding his teeth. Jesus isn't really complimentary there. He says some choice things to the disciples about failure. He does not encourage them for trying and say, you'll do better next time, or just most people don't even try. At least you tried. He's very Jewish. And so after he got through chewing on them and saying, how much am I going to have to keep doing your work for you? In verse 28, they privately asked him, why did we fail? And Jesus did not say to them, because it wasn't God's will. And you were praying for someone that it wasn't God's will to deliver. Don't you know that? <laughs> it's good for the family to have an afflicted son. It just teaches them to depend more on God. You know, it builds strength. Is that what he said? He said failure. He made him own it. He didn't make a friendship with failure. He didn't call it a good thing. Jesus didn't use any encouragement when they fell. Well, you tried. Let's just take an honest look at it. In verse 29, he names two connections that came unplugged. He said there was some wiring issue. You need to walk into a situation connected. And he says this kind comes out by... And then pause. He says, this is a more difficult type. This kind comes out by. So there are some that will give you more fight than others. Sometimes you have to regroup. It's best to go into it prayer and fasting. What does prayer and fasting do? Move the devil? Move God? Move our spirit? Move our flesh? People try to answer that forever. But I can say, as one pastor said, it's a prayer summons and it's invitation to seek God. What Jesus told them is this type comes out by prayer and fasting. In other words, he's saying, go back and do your homework. You came into this situation unprepared. The Father which sees you in secret shall reward you openly. 
Some fasting don't expect much from it. There's obvious benefits. It's not just a spiritual routine or a ritual. You're not a monk. This is not a chant. This is something where you're spending that time with God, praying into it and fasting to blow up those obstacles in front of you. And it is a deeper connection. And when Jesus named their failure, he was like, go back and reconnect to God and spend that quality time. Too many times we're trying to wing it, our authority, different parts. So this is what I had started out with in Isaiah 58, a whole chapter on fasting. And this is your promises. This is what it promises fasting will do for you. In verse 6 and 8, when it won't yield to anything else, fasting breaks yokes. Think of what a yoke is. Fasting breaks the yoke. So many things can happen to you that are so bad, it scares you. And you'll get yourself prepared to have authority. You know, Letourneau is a famous guy. He started college. My dad always enjoyed reading about him. He was from Texas. But I read something about his life. What got him famous? He had a problem that was happening to the whole nation, and he solved a national problem. What was happening is when they flipped the ships upside down, this was World War II, the brackets and the bolts would break. It'd snap. And so Letourneau fasted for three days for the answer. And God showed him, and they were able to produce ships faster than any of the Germans' ships or the Japanese ships could be put out in their production. He beat the Germans and the Japs by the answer God told him. And he made a lot of money. What was very interesting about him was he made God a deal. He said, I'll tithe 90% and I'll live on 10%. And so he made a 90-10 deal with God, but it was opposite than, uh, <laughs> than most people's 10 and 90. And that's what made Letourneau famous. It breaks bondages. Some situations so bad, doubt, fear, World War II, problems, war. We're commissioned in this, in Isaiah, to do acts of love and to break yokes for other people. Is this not a time to share your bread with the hungry? Is it not time to spend yourselves on behalf that you may bring to your house and the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover them? Did you know this is what we did for... Japan, we rebuilt Japan. We called for missionaries for them because of this. Hide not yourself from your own flesh. Fasting is not a disengagement from the world. It is a disengagement from self, the flesh, for the sake of the world and for the cause of Christ. And then it says, don't get into character assassination, the pointing of the finger, maliciousness, fast. Appeal to the claims of blood relationship. These are my flesh, Lord. I pray for these people. When you really care for someone, you'll target them in prayer and fast. Your unsaved loved ones. 
Lord, I pray that my friend will soon get tired of living in the pig's pen and eating the pig's food. That they will no longer desire their own pleasure. That they will lose their taste for drugs and alcohol. And that he will not be in the counsel of the ungodly, but you will surround my friend with workers in the kingdom and you will put them across their path and lead my friend to the Lord. You can target fast people and break yokes. Breaking barriers when nothing else will break them. You know, one man said, often I'm troubled by something else that they said. I find that it to be a source of deep insight. But when they were teaching on fasting, they noticed that in verse 12, that the last two verses, 13 and 14, were about the Sabbath where 12 was about the fast. And then it came to him. He said, the Sabbath is a form of fasting. Just as fasting is not just doing without food, but providing food for the hungry, so the Sabbath is not just a day of inactivity, but it's rather a day where we set aside our own pleasures to pursue God, who is our highest pleasure. So you've got to have that one day a week where you set it aside for your highest pleasure. No wonder Jesus felt it was lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It was his highest pleasure, breaking yokes. See it happen so fast when nothing else seemed to work. That's how Jesus looked at it. And then lo and behold, it is the greatest promise for protection that has ever been penned so rich in promises, like a time of refreshing. Notice what it tells us in verse 8 that will happen. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. It is like water gushing forth. Then your healing will speed forth speedily. Like when you can't get healing. And then suddenly it will just speed up your healing. That thing that's been taking so long. And your righteousness shall go before you. And then the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I'm telling you, sometimes you get shot in the back. <laughs> sometimes something happens on the backside. It's that sneaky cobra, whatever sneaks up on you. I'm going to tell you that the one thing that people have always said, well, there's no armor for the backside. I'm telling you, fasting is what protects the backside. Where something doesn't come out of nowhere and take you down. I love this. Your light will break forth. Your healing will speed up. Your righteousness shall go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. God's glory. That is amazing to me to think about God's glory. Then the Lord will guide you always and he will satisfy your needs and refresh your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden and like a spring whose waters never fail. You know, authority, you've already won the battle in your prayer closet. And as you fast and really spend that time praying to God, you will be shocked that this is the best kept answer that nobody preaches of what to do when nothing else seems to be working. Amen.